Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Executive Pastor Dr. Tucker York. continue this morning in our series on Proverbs, considering the topic of wealth and poverty. When I graduated from college, my sister and brother-in-law bought me a one-year subscription to Money Magazine. I found it very helpful as I was beginning my career, learning about investing, about stocks and bonds and money markets, even thinking long-term towards retirement, which at that time was over 40 years away. I'm much closer now. Proverbs has much to say about money, so much so that it's not easy to cover all the issues in one sermon. This book of wisdom covers such matters as how wealth is acquired, how poverty is avoided, the importance of industry and generosity, warnings against greed, envy, and debt, and offers a perspective on the limits of wealth which merit us nothing when we stand before God's tribunal on the day of judgment. I will read just five of the verses that you'll find listed on page five in your bulletin. Chapter 28, verse 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. 1431. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker but he who is generous to the needy honors him. 22 verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. 11 verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And lastly, chapter 11 verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Father, once again, I would ask this morning that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Listen to any political poll and gauging the sentiment of voter ideas, and you'll hear a consistent theme. No matter how much people say, how important education and security and social issues are, you'll often find the economy near the top of the list. Is the economy stupid? It's a popular expression when I was coming of age as a young voter back in the 90s. Money is concerning to us, whether it's deciding what degree to pursue, where to apply for a job, what choices to make with investments. I've observed that when wills or trusts go public, They can be occasion for great conflict in families. Expectations and tensions rise when a person of means passes away. Much of our world revolves around money. What help us this morning to handle our worldly wealth and to prepare for the next world, we look today to Proverbs to understand the roots of wealth and poverty to gain from its practical wisdom and warnings, and with humility consider the end of money. 
First, the roots of wealth and poverty. On one level, the root of wealth is hard work. Proverbs 14, 23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Work ethic matters. Years ago, I hired two men to help me install the flooring in my dining room, and one was a man I had visited in prison. The other was a man who had frequently visited the church for financial help. The ex-prisoner was a hard worker. The other one merely wanted to talk and joke around. He had every excuse in the book for why he couldn't handle the nail gun or the trim nailer. Even when my wife offered him lunch, he turned up his nose and wanted something better. It was not hard to see why he was suffering from poverty. But something more than mere toil is at work with creating wealth. There are many who work, maybe work hard, but seem unable to get ahead. Productive labor, ingenuity, the power of ideas, opportunities, the access to capital, personal discipline are all such factors in developing wealth. But according to Scripture, ultimately our provision comes from the Lord. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. 28 verse 20 says, A faithful man will abound with his blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. In God's world, the general equity in the affairs of men, according to the general equity in the affairs of men, people of faith and character tend to prosper materially. But of course, there are exceptions. The Bible is full of examples of the rich and the poor, the righteous rich and the righteous poor, the unrighteous rich and the unrighteous poor. When David and his household had to flee Jerusalem to escape from Absalom, David's son, they crossed the Jordan River to be greeted by Barzillai the Gileadite, a wealthy and generous man. Barzillai provided for David and his men food and supplies to regroup and renew themselves for the swiftly approaching battle. Barzillai could not have known at that time the outcome of the war, but he was devoted to the Lord and the Lord's anointed, even if it would cost him security should Absalom and his followers prevail. Barzillai helped preserve the kingdom of God in his day. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, King David, and others are good examples of the righteous rich who feared the Lord and were blessed. Proverbs commends the righteous rich to care for the poor, to uphold justice. 29 verse 7 says, A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. 31 verse 9 adds, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Perhaps Job stands head and shoulders above all the examples of the righteous rich in Scripture. When Job was being falsely accused by his friends of oppressing the poor, as they searched for reasons why God was punishing him, Job, destitute from the severe afflictions he received from the hand of Satan, replies in chapter 29, I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. 
I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. You may not feel rich, at least by American standards, but in comparison with history and the rest of the world, most of us are quite wealthy. And Proverbs would charge each of us to steward our wealth generously, to benefit others, both the material and the spiritual poor. Now, no doubt many of us would love to be in the company of the righteous rich. But Proverbs here offers warning in chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Perhaps this New Testament counterpart is Paul's words to Timothy. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. What you desire, what you love, if it is anything less than God, is a trap. This warning is illustrated by the many examples of the unrighteous rich in Scripture. King Ahab was a wealthy and unrighteous, wicked king who stole the land of Naboth, a righteous man, taking his vineyard when he wouldn't negotiate with him, putting the man to death on trumped-up false charges by the instigation of his evil wife, Jezebel. Nabal was a wealthy Judean and a fool, who by his greed and his ingratitude turned away David's men who had guarded his flocks during the shearing, turning them away empty-handed when they sought compensation. His life was only rescued by the wise and resourcefulness of his wife, Abigail. And though spared from David's wrath, Nabal was not spared the Lord's, who struck him down for his selfish greed and reviling the Lord's anointed. So what are the roots of poverty? The Bible gives us at least three causes. Oppression, destruction, and foolishness. Proverbs 14, 31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Scripture consistently condemns the abusive treatment of the poor by the rich and powerful. Even Nathan's parable, intended to indict David for a sin, features a rich man who stole the one little ewe lamb of the poor man in order to feed his guest. Oppression leads many to poverty. So does disaster, which befalls people in this broken world. Weather events, health crises, accidents that impair one's physical and mental capacities, the death or abandonment of a breadwinner, and various other afflictions expose people to the harsh, merciless nature of a broken, fallen world. Proverbs 18.11 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall. 19 verse 15 says, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. The wealthy enjoy buffers and the support of others, where the poor oftentimes lack the resources and support to withstand the storms of life. 
The third cause is foolishness. Proverbs 6, 10, 11 read, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Chapter 10, verse 4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Laziness, sloth, presumption, entitlement, wasted opportunities, risky endeavors, naivete, and other weak character traits rob people of the dignity that comes with material security and abundance. I've seen many such examples. As I often serve on the front lines of our church staff, assisting people who walk in off the street seeking aid from our church, I've heard many sad stories. And we as a church help where we can, guided by policies that aim to help people and not enable them. And I've learned that we must, must be careful lest we judge the poor prematurely. Oftentimes the roots of poverty are not always clear, hidden beneath the surface. In our troubled times, we hear growing voices that question the wealth-generating power that has made our nation the leading economy in the world. Is capitalism evil? Does the Bible in general and Proverbs in particular condone or condemn capitalism? Well, I'm not sure it does either. But the Bible offers us principles that I believe are consistent with many tenets of capitalism and deny many of the tenets that characterize Marxist economic systems. For starters, the Bible assumes private property rights. People clearly owned property under the Mosaic Law, where the government did not have the power to take it away. Secondly, the Bible and our Judeo-Christian heritage upholds the rule of law as opposed to tyranny. Halfway around the world, in a nation where local governments are low on cash, we hear reports of people's funds and their bank accounts just disappearing. One day, a wealthy person may have 100000 in the bank, and the next day it's 25000 Such customers have no recourse. With a judiciary who is under the thumb of central governing authorities. We should be thankful that we live in a society that has much greater protections against such abuse of power. Women may own property, can inherit their parents' estate, will not be robbed by their family members when they become a widow, as is not uncommon in other places in our world. A third biblical principle is blind justice. Not turning a blind eye against injustice, but by not favoring certain groups over other favored groups. Though in a corrupt world, there is still the reality that the rich tilt the scale in their favor. The fourth principle is limited government. A checks and balances based upon the Bible's indictment of our sinful and corrupt nature. Power in the hands of the few usually leads to the abuse of the vulnerable. Restraining and the sharing of power increases equal opportunity. And so limited government, strong property rights, and the rule of law makes capital investment and development of one's property 
possible without the fear of government taking it. It offers real incentive to increase productivity, to reap and to keep the benefits of your profits, of a profitable enterprise. Between 2019 and 2023, the number of millionaires in America doubled from 11 million to 22 million. Of course, many of those are entrepreneurs, but even more are simply people who worked hard, saved, stayed out of debt, invested in their future until reaching retirement age. In recent decades, hundreds of millions of people worldwide have benefited from microfinancing. The programs offered by ministries like Hope International featured last month in the Missions Moment. Through savings groups, small loans, and church discipleship, many people have been able to climb their way out of poverty by starting small businesses to provide for themselves and their families, particularly women, and able to escape the dire nature of poverty to find dignity through work and self-sufficiency in the fear of the Lord. Of course, the Bible does not offer an unqualified endorsement of capitalism. Much of capitalism is driven by greed, which the Bible clearly condemns. And so we turn to some practical wisdom and warnings. Chapter 13, verse 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Get-rich-quick schemes fall as fast as they rise. The lottery, high-risk investments that are more like gambling, even talent-based lucrative contracts uh, in the world of sports, entertainment, oftentimes leave people who are acquiring wealth faster than their character and their competency can keep up with it. Growing wealth slowly allows one to gain wisdom and to protect oneself against the temptation to reach beyond one's grasp. Generosity and greed. The Proverbs commends the one and condemns the other. In 11 verse 24, it says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. 28 verse 25 says, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts the Lord will be enriched. Solomon, the wisest among Israel's kings, who failed to follow his own wisdom, said in Ecclesiastes 5, 10, and 11, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? God's answer to the problem of greed, I believe, is generosity, the biblical tithe, giving your first 10% of your income to the Lord helps you prioritize the remaining 90%. The other part of God's solution is contentment. Proverbs 16.8 says, Better is little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. I love how this principle is illustrated in the classic favorite film, It's a Wonderful Life. Recall the character contrast between George Bailey, the ambitious young man ready to take on the world who has to learn to be content running his father's savings and loan business, a pillar in his community helping to keep many people away from poverty. In contrast, this old man Potter, the wealthiest man in town who was as ruthless 
as he was rich. As the story goes, the angel, Gabriel, the angel Clarence shows, shows George how vulnerable the town would be without him serving as its protector. So what does Proverbs have to say about an economy that runs on debt? Chapter 6 says, My son, if you have put up security for a neighbor, save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Run. Run away from securing other people's obligations. Flee like an animal running for its life. 22 verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a slave of the lender. So does this mean we should never borrow? Well, wise financial advisors that I respect offer this counsel, that there are good debts that increase in value, like a home, a business, hopefully your education that increases your earning potential. And there are bad debts that decline in value, taking out car loans, excessive credit card debt for purchasing merchandise and things like vacations. Far better to save your money and to pay cash for things, even minimizing your debt on your home or your college education. Interestingly, at one time, the medieval church forbid the charging of interest on loans. It was called the sin of usury. And it was based on verses like Deuteronomy 23, 19 to 20. You shall not charge interest on loans to another Israelite. Interest on money, interest on provisions, interest on anything that is lent. On loans to foreigners, you may charge interest. But on loans to an Israelite, you may not charge interest. The second letter in council in 1139 declared the unrepentant usurer condemned by the Old and the New Testaments alike and unworthy of ecclesiastical consolations and Christian burial. Traditionally, clergy condemned usury in the pursuit of profit, which largely went ignored. But then the religious orders ventured into banking practices in the ninth century, and their economic activities caused the theologians to begin thinking anew concerning their doctrines of profit and interest. By the 13th century, theologians declared that profits could be morally legitimate. The lender ought to be compensated for his opportunity cost, the money that was not available to him on other commercial opportunities. It was deemed proper to charge interest, especially on things bought on credit. And so what emerged a little over a thousand years ago was early capitalism, an economy based on profits, property rights, crediting, and lending. And it's remarkable when you consider that this came from theologians who had make it, made a vow of poverty. But what, would, what might we label as sinful usury in our day? What is it that the Bible condemns? I believe that would apply to predatory lending. The same day money lenders charging exorbitant rates on vulnerable people. Debt holders in Asia who enslave families by taking their children as collateral on debts and slaving them for a lifetime. Raising prices in a crisis, perhaps on gas or water in an area hit by a hurricane. Charging interest for profit is not necessarily wrong, but can easily be abused without regulation or biblical conscience. 
The evangelist John Wesley was famous for exhorting believers to earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. Likewise, Proverbs urges us towards industry, stewardship, and generosity. Exercise integrity. Seek wise counselors. To the young in our midst, the conventional wisdom is to stay in school, stay married, stay out of debt. Is it okay to pray for wealth? Perhaps better is to pray for wisdom, that God would help you to steward well what he's entrusted to you. And yet many questions remain. Is it okay to loan money? How about co-signing a loan? Ought I to leave an inheritance or start a foundation? Those are all fair questions that you should consult with a wise and godly advisor. I will not try to answer them from the pulpit. But check your heart desires when handling money. For the remnants of power, control, the desire for prestige, security, pleasure, and anything that hinders entrusting your wealth to God. And so lastly, let us consider the end of money. And by the end of money, I'm not referring to a cashless society, though I am not in favor of a cashless system that exposes the people to further abuses from those in power. What I mean by this is the purpose, the fulfillment of money. Proverbs gives us perspective on money. According to the common aphorism in Broadway musical, you can't take it with you. Chapter 11, verse 4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but the righteous, but the righteous delivers from death. Yes, in many ways, the wealthy get what they want. Buy things, curry favor, often avoiding consequences for wrongdoing. Yes, the rich can purchase a get-out-of-jail-free card in this life. But there is a judge waiting for them. One who cannot be bought, whose pardon cannot be purchased by any amount of earthly wealth. Proverbs 11.28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. When I was in college, I attended a Sunday school class in my church taught by Christian singer Steve Camp, if you remember him from the 80s and 90s, he told us a story about attending a music convention and walked onto an elevator where he met the pop star Prince and Prince's bodyguard. And the bodyguard told them this was Prince's elevator and he had to get off. And Prince was kind to let Steve ride the elevator and they engaged in conversation and Steve, being the evangelist that he is, shared the gospel with the pop star. At one point, Prince said, Man, do you have any idea how much money I make? Steve replied, And all your money cannot buy a single drop of Jesus' blood. Steve was right. The perfect, atoning, sacrificial blood of Jesus cannot be bought, does not go to the highest bidder, is not for sale on the black market, the righteous blood of our Lord cannot be held for ransom. It will not be blackmailed. It is safe and secure from any hacker. There is a ledger in heaven that cannot be tampered with by man. Wealth is worthless before God. 
And simply being poor is no guarantee of salvation. God bestows the righteousness of his son on the humble, on those who truly repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging their spiritually bankrupt state before him. Proverbs 22.2 says, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. In our world filled with inequality and inequity, there is a level ground at the feet of God's tribunal. Our status, our accomplishments in this life merit us nothing. Our reputation, our bank accounts don't matter as we stand before the foot of the cross. We brought nothing into this world and we take nothing with us. We will only stand before the judgment seat of God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law that we failed to meet. His sacrifice pays the debt that would dwarf the U.S. national debt. The wisdom of Augur, son of Jaca, helps bring Proverbs to its conclusion. His famous words in chapter 30, verse 8, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. There are dangers with wealth and poverty. In the end, what matters is righteousness before God, the true riches that are ours through faith in Christ. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heaven is a destination that cannot be booked by a travel agent, and you will not need any money when you arrive. Those who enter heaven do so by invitation only, who hear and believe the appeal read earlier from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Our Father in heaven is rich beyond our wildest imaginations. The riches of this world are but a pittance in his coffers. Handle your worldly wealth with wisdom. Apply good stewardship. Invest in kingdom work that multiplies our efforts to making the spiritually impoverished rich through faith in Jesus Christ. And trust the Lord, whether in wealth or want, remembering the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for the instruction we have from your word to manage our desires, to handle the wealth you've entrusted to us. Help us to do so with faith, with stewardship, with integrity. 
Help us to be people who are active in your kingdom to help spread the name and the fame of Jesus Christ among the nations. To him be the glory, we pray. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.